0: Over the summer, my son went to a summer arts camp through Portland Public Schools. It was great. It was free, and middle schoolers could pick music, acting, fine arts, or theater tech. On the last day, they offered a showcase demonstrating what they learned, including dancing, singing, instrumental music, bucket drumming, Theatrical fighting where one child would drive a sword through the armpit of another, and they would fall dramatically. Most parents have experienced this. Once a child performs, they and their parents leave. So the early acts have a crowd, and slowly there are fewer and fewer people to perform for. As much as possible, I try to stay for the later kids. So my son was done, I was paying half attention, and a play begins. This play, written by a middle schooler, begins with two kids on the stage. It's kind of a mumbly start, but the word abortion catches my ear. The upshot is this. A child gets pregnant, and the boy tells her that he doesn't love her or want the baby. She goes and talks to a youth pastor who tells her that she, the youth pastor, had an abortion and has forever regretted it. So the child carries the baby to term, and the last scene is the child with her three-year-old. I was really, really surprised. About so many things, right? Why is a middle schooler writing a play about abortion? Why is this the play they decided to show? Who worked with the kids to help them understand the complicated story they were about to act out. Because, oh my gosh, developmentally, middle school is about the time that kids are thinking through bigger world issues. But this was so many things squished into a five-minute sketch. I don't have any idea who participated in the writing of this story and what went into that. But the story was told very simply. And all the elements swirling together, young love, sex, abortion, religion, teen pregnancy, that is not a simple story. But as an issue, abortion is told like that, right? All strong words and hyperbole. The the current story of abortion in the United States is complex, and each day brings a new twist. But the landmark case that is glorified or demonized, depending on where you stand, is Roe v. Wade. Jane Roe got pregnant with her third child in 1969, but could not have an abortion because she lived in Texas. In 1973, the Supreme Court ruled that the Constitution protects a pregnant woman's liberty to choose to have an abortion without excessive government restriction, making abortion legal in all 50 states. Before and since then, there has been a strong movement to change the law, but since the language from the Supreme Court is so specific, many of the laws have tried to come at it from the side. The one that is currently in the news is also from Texas. This law bans most abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. However, state officials can't enforce the law. Instead, any private citizen can sue Anyone who performs an abortion or aids and abets a procedure for $10,000 and legal fees. So any random person can hear about a woman getting an abortion at eight weeks and sue the doctor, the woman's clergy who gave counsel, the Uber driver, the woman's friend who went with her. And of course, these lawsuits have already begun. Legislation by its nature is pretty binary. This is wrong, this is right. So when we legislate religiously, that too becomes binary. In the United States, Christians have had a lot to say about what is taught in school. Evolution versus creationism, sex education, modesty. And in wider society, there are still blue laws in parts of the country where you can't buy liquor on Sundays because it is the Lord's Day. And it wasn't so long ago that interracial couples and our gay and lesbian sisters and brothers weren't allowed to legally marry. So it goes with abortion. By law, it is right or it is wrong. And largely by rhetoric, it is also right or wrong. So, Texas. The only people I personally know who knew by six weeks that they were pregnant are my friends who were trying to get pregnant. Though the technology is improving, the earliest ultrasound can be done at eight weeks, and even then, it is spotty. I know from experience that no matter how anxious you are, doctors will not give ultrasounds before 10 weeks unless you really stomp around, and then they will give you one at eight. And besides that, in Texas, there are virtually no exceptions to the ban after six weeks. I know women who have had abortions. The one who had pneumonia and had been living in a tent for months through a wet Oregon winter. Her doctor told her that it could have devastating consequences if she tried to continue her pregnancy. Or my relative who was 13 years old when she got pregnant. Or my friend who left an abusive partner only to later learn that she was pregnant. These are three women I know And this choice was devastating to all of them because even when it is legal, it's never an easy choice. I have not met the woman who made this choice lightly. But laws aren't made for nuance. And Jesus fought the law for that very reason. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is constantly challenging the religious elite He breaks the rules and heals on the Sabbath because even on the Sabbath, people are suffering. He condemns the heart of heart for not taking care of widows, orphans, and the sick. He makes room at the table for people the elite wouldn't be caught dead with. So when John comes running to tell on people who are not with them and are casting out demons in Jesus' name, well, Jesus tells him to knock it off. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. And then Jesus, Lordy Lord Jesus, goes into this. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. Oh boy. This year is a Mark year and this is a doozy from Mark. It is strong words and definitely hyperbole. We've been talking about trauma for the last three weeks at the 9 a.m. adult forum. We have been focusing on trauma on what happens, what it means for the body and mind and spirit. So this will be a refresher for some of you. When the fear part of your brain is activated, when you sense serious peril, the brain floods your body with adrenaline and cortisol. The shot of adrenaline increases your heart rate and oxygenation in the blood, it makes you feel less pain, and your body is optimized to escape. The cortisol shuts down all the things you don't need for immediate survival. This includes many of the body's systems, endocrine, digestive, reproductive, executive functions like keeping track of time, complex thought, planning. Trauma makes us very basic animals. You don't need French literature when you're trying to survive. The world gets very, very binary. Things are safe or dangerous, good or bad, right or wrong. It frees your brain to make quick decisions to get to safety. If you are being chased by, the, by a bear, this is all super useful. But if you're living through a global pandemic, or you are scared because the world is changing and you don't know where things are headed, or your people have been terrorized for generations and safety is elusive, the adrenaline and cortisol begin to break down the body, and basic function becomes the rhythm of our life. We get used to having less access to that upper brain, and we're less able to do the complex thinking and the complex everything that make life better. So Jesus comes at us with these big, scary orders. And every time I read them, I feel wide-eyed and afraid. Two-eyed, though, so there's that. (laughs) Jesus is trying to get our attention. Do not, he tells us in this alarming way, do not cause someone to stumble who believes in Jesus. Maybe their way isn't how you imagined it should be, but it still counts. I feel strongly about a woman's right to choose and a woman's right to terminate a pregnancy because every situation and every pregnancy and every woman is different. The longed-for baby that has fatal defects, the one in 500 pregnancies that come after vasectomy, the victim of assault, the children, no one makes this decision lightly. And so in this moment when I'm feeling the exhaustion of pandemic, when I'm feeling this phrase that I just learned, decision fatigue, in my very bones, in this moment when I feel the binary right versus wrong about so many things, wait some time at coffee hour for my sermon about masks and vaccines, I recognize that in this binary moment, I am not in the best place to make judgment, and that the thing I can do is to protect those who are making impossible decisions with the right to make them. On our best days, we, the church, help point one another to God, to the love personified in Jesus, who broke the rules and healed and loved and changed the world, and on our lesser days, we break down the body and preach fear and exhaustion and damnation. Honestly, I'm confident about my belief in choice, but not positive. And yet, at the end of the day, I always want to lean into grace, not shame, to kindness, not judgment. Let us take seriously Jesus when he tells us not to put a stumbling block for anyone who seeks the love of God. It is complicated, and it is hard, and I feel wide-eyed every time I read this scripture because I am not positive who I am in this story. But I take heart that Jesus is love, that it's my job to point that direction, and that at the end of it all, God will sort it out. Amen.